there, and welcome once again to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast heard all over the world and all the ships at sea. Hello to you if you're floating in the ocean. I'm Denver 7 traffic anchor Jason Luber. I'm pedestrian advocate Joseph Peters. Make sure to stay in your lane, whether you're listening from the road or from the ocean. Well, I guess there are lanes in the ocean, yeah. I mean, there have to be, right? There's lanes in the sky, too, for all you pilots who are listening out there. I was actually watching, that reminds me, I was watching this video of this guy who, uh, he set up a camera. He apparently works on one of these cargo ships, and he set up a camera on the front of the cargo ship, and it did time-lapse of him from, it was somewhere uh, in East Africa, okay. and then he went to Indonesia and then up into Hong Kong fascinating to watch that it was just really cool but yeah they were shipping lanes at all the places they had to drop off the cargo uh, all those big shipping containers it was pretty fascinating well that's what they say about the navy right you join the navy if you want to see the world because 75 percent of the world is water and that's all you're going to see if you wind up on one of those ships out at the ocean. <laughs> yep, you will see, yeah, lots and lots of water. Joseph, a man in Germany clung to the side of a train speeding at nearly 100 miles an hour after realizing he left his luggage in it. The 59-year-old man clung to the side of the train for nearly 15 miles until rail personnel noticed him and then stopped. He basically wedged himself between a couple of cars. He was standing on this little ledge. And he was holding on to some of this plastic, this plastic bellows stuff, so he wouldn't fall off. The man, who was unhurt and believed to be Romanian, continued his journey to Hanover inside the train. That's a much better place to be. I would agree with that. Inside than outside. It was not immediately clear whether any charges would be brought against the man. Maybe his luggage was loaded full of the uh, delicious and oh-so-nutritious Cracklin' Oat brand. That we talked about last week. <laughs> precious cargo. That is precious cargo. I even heard a couple more Twitter people out there that they were telling me their tales. No no Cracklin' Oat brand in Chicago. Nope. I mean, Kellogg's responded as well, and they are aware that there is no Cracklin' Oat brand to be found anywhere in the country. They're working on it. Yeah, they, yeah. Until then, I am now down to 18 boxes. 18 boxes in my laundry room well that'll only take about a month to get through right just about <laughs> just about uh the digital maps that we all love to use to avoid traffic jams and save us a lot of time they're also unfortunately turning some neighborhood streets into headache inducing escape routes for people who live on those streets i, I like to use my ways app Do you, well you're walking around all the time right but the wife and i i mean anytime we go somewhere we only get there by gps because we still don't know the city's outline that well yeah there's a lot of people that do that and these the unsettling side effect of traffic tackling technology as more drivers are using navigation apps like Waze and google maps and all the other ones on their phones uh, and even the new cars that come equipped with all this stuff you just basically t- type in the destination and off you go you just sit there and, and blindly go it makes it more and more likely that more drivers are going to follow the directions down these roads that they otherwise would never have known about would never have driven down if they didn't follow their gps down right to to the street Hans Larson, he's the public works director in Fremont, California. That's a suburb of San Francisco. Now, he says people are becoming trained to just blindly follow their mapping apps, and the concern that they have are these apps aren't making the distinction between what happens when you travel on the highways or when you travel on the city streets or by schools or in the neighborhoods, especially when they're not used to handling that kind of traffic. Well, we're not actually blind. I mean, you can look around and see that there's a school or that you're driving on a neighbor in a neighborhood versus driving on a highway. I do think that 
some of the highways out here, like 6th and things like that, where it abruptly changes from, hey, you can go as fast as you want to, hey, you're in the middle of downtown Denver. <laughs> yeah. You know, that can be a little jarring for people. I do think it's true that people will just blindly follow the apps. And what I noticed, and I think we've talked about this within the past couple of weeks, is you see drivers just abruptly cut over two lanes, not really caring what's behind them because they had that moment in their app where, oh, I'm supposed to turn right here. Yeah. And they feel like they need to go right as soon as possible. And that's where it gets a little sketchy. Because there's always a little lag when you're yeah. watching your GPS. You're always a little bit ahead of where it it thinks you are. Right. I kind of wish it would be the other way around where it would almost predict to give you a little bit of heads up that, hey, this thing is coming up and it's a little bit fat, you know? Well, I think most people, and correct me if you think I'm wrong here, I don't think a lot of people like can really judge the difference in their depth of vision between two tenths of a mile and 500 no, feet. probably not. And so when you see something is like, turn left in two tenths of a mile... Is that the next street? Is that three streets down? It's really tough to tell. And if your eyes are like mine or my wife's where they can't always catch those street signs right away and read the name of the street, you're, you kind of are flying blind. I, I would think about this way. If we went out to the newsroom and right now and said, hey, everybody, what's your judgment of what's 20 feet away from you right now? Nobody would have a clue. No. I, I don't have a clue. Let alone 50 feet, 100 feet, 150 feet. Is that jacket 20 feet away from me? I, that one? Yeah. Here's here's how I figure it. I fi- I'm six feet tall. I'm six two. Yep. Six three with the F. I do the same thing. I know. Uh, we're going you know the same so I'm figuring about me, and then up there, and if I'm laying on the ground, that's about four of me. So yeah, that's kind of how I do it. But but I can't tell how many me's are two tenths of a mile. No, you, know? you can't. You that's can't. where it gets tricky. <laughs> well, and all this traffic is being diverted and clogged uh, off the clogged freeways during the morning and evening commutes. Uh, it really became so insufferable there in Fremont that city leaders decided about a year ago to outwit the apps. And what the city started doing is ban turns at several key intersections at certain times of day. So what they do is that keeps the app users from being able to use those shortcuts that are being suggested by the navigation apps. And before police began handing out tickets, Fremont even set up these electronic blinking signs that says, don't trust your app. And basically, don't go down this road because your app is wanting you to go down this road, but you shouldn't go down this road. The countermeasures by the city turned the shortcuts into slower routes and were then no longer recommended as a bypass around the traffic. But the apps have since found other shortcuts, including some that direct drivers down even smaller side roads that weren't designed to accommodate any cars, basically. And that's frustrating a lot of the residents down there. They say that sometimes people get so focused on taking a shortcut that they won't even stop to let other people back out of their driveways. Similar headaches are vexing communities across the country, prompting traffic planners to find ways to get their side streets or less convenient alternatives to highways. I'm sorry. I have no sympathy for the guy who doesn't understand why the man driving 20 miles an hour doesn't want to stop abruptly to let you out of your driveway. (laughs) Have some patience, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Don't taste me, bro, to have some patience, bro. (laughs) Waze originally set out to save every driver five minutes when they got into their cars to go anywhere. The app plots out a route, you know, it has that computer algorithm that analyzes the data gathered from other users of the Waze app and their Google app. And the Waze recalculates the best routes based on real-time traffic conditions. They update it within every three minutes or so, and that technology has become so accurate and widely used that Waze has broadened its mission to eliminate congestion altogether. Waze says it works with cities and counties to help them ease traffic on their local roads, even when its app is steering them onto those local roads. 
No steps can include lowering the speed limit, adding speed bumps, banning turns at some intersections, increasing the chances that Waze won't recommend them as shortcuts. But Waze has done a lot of good also by reducing the amount of time that commuters are spending on the road, which helps overall congestion, including getting some people off the highway. Because if everybody was on the highway, it's going to be congested. If some of those people get off and use some of the other roads, then traffic is going to move better on both. Right. I mean, in my quaint little small town, you could take the highway to get from exit 1 in Vermont to exit 43 in New Hampshire. Or you could take this gorgeous side road that takes you by a lake and takes you through some forests and stuff like that. And back when I was in high school, I was the only person it felt like who knew about that shortcut. So it was a very enjoyable drive because it was just me and lakes and mountains and forests and I could burn down that road like 70 miles an hour and really enjoy myself. And now you can't really do that because other people are wise to the trick. I know. That's a lot of my secret routes are the same way. They are now getting more congested because people are using their GPS. But their let's apps. be real. I'm just mad about it because I can't turn <laughs> up. Like, <laughs> Me too. I'm the same way. So this guy, Sam Schwartz, he's a transportation consultant and is a former traffic commissioner in New York City. He believes that cities facing technology-driven traffic problems will ultimately need to start charging tolls to use their roads during certain times of day. The congestion pricing would be similar to the system already used on many California highways. He said cameras could be used to identify cars, charge vehicles that are registered outside a city limit, just like a former traffic commissioner from New York City to say that, yeah? charge everybody to drive on the roads thanks <laughs> no kidding right like let's let's charge a five dollar to- toll to ride down elm street at four o'clock on a tuesday because sharon and john need to get their child home from school <laughs> finding the best shortcut around any traffic jam can be a competitive sport but Waze has sort of given everybody access to those routes that they wouldn't have ever thought about so uh, like us like you and, and with your route and me with mine we, I, I could almost call us elite athletes of commuting. Well, that would be the only thing I would be an elite athlete <laughs> at, but I'll take it. But we're, we're losing our advantage that we once had. Everyone else is clogging up our super, super secret alternative routes, and it's becoming a bit sad that so many people are becoming mindless drones behind the wheel just following their their line on the map and not really knowing where they're going or really care. They just want to get to wherever they want to go faster. They just want to go from point A to point B as fast as they can. And they are enjoying the ride less and less. Like you yep. got off the highway. You were enjoying the – you like the trees. I like trees. We all like trees. Like, Who doesn't like trees? I agree. If you don't like trees, get out. Go ahead shut off the podcast right now if you don't like the trees. <laughs> uh, I have not heard of any part of Metro Denver pulling, putting up signs and limiting where drivers can go. Uh, if Waze routes them that way, then I guess people will go that way. But, uh, I, you know, it wouldn't surprise me in the future that Denver might do that. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me either. And I, I think you see that to some extent already. I mean, I don't think that Waze would recommend Spear over Broadway on a, on a busy-ish no. day. You know what I mean? Like right. So little things like that. It seems like Fresno really tried to... I mean, really gamed the system here, you know? And I don't know that Denver... <laughs> has a way to do that necessarily. No, because you would have to figure out where, because maybe in some of these little cities, they only have a few of these other alternate routes. I mean, Denver's huge, and there are a lot of other ways to get around, but but people won't get off the highway is what I've found. A lot of people, even though I tell them, and maybe there are not enough people watching me on TV, and they're all watching, you know, whatever, over there on 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 that other, other channel. On the other channel. Um, and they're all getting steered into the into the traffic jam. I would settle for as a commuter in downtown Denver, pushing all of the traffic on Colfax onto Sixth. 
that would be a good start for me because yeah. it drives me nuts, and I like being able to go down Colfax. It's not like a beautiful scenic drive, but it is a very interesting scenic yes. drive, and and I think Waze and other mapping apps direct a lot of people to Colfax instead of just pushing them to 6 where they can go faster anyway. Right. Well, you also have either 13th or 14th, which are one-way streets, and they actually flow pretty well. Yes. Um, you have 8th Avenue, which flows pretty well. It's a one. And there are a lot of other those alternates, but, you know, ways I think... De- I think what it does is default to the biggest street until it's congested, and then we'll find smaller streets after right. that. Yeah, in Colfax, the congestion, I don't know if it's getting worse or if it's always been bad, but it does feel like they could alleviate some of that by not pushing everybody to Colfax. Yeah. One of my favorite jobs, and, and it re- relates to all of this, what I had years ago, it could be eventually replaced by robots. I'm talking about pizza delivery. See, and that's one of the reasons I learned the streets so well is because I was a pizza delivery driver for a lot of years. And it was a great – and you learn all these little tricks and little streets to go around. Yeah. They they are some of the best traffic avoiders anywhere. Well, in your day they were. I think yes. a lot of the pizza deliverers now rely on ways a little bit too much. Well, robots are going to begin delivering Domino's Pizza in the Netherlands and Germany pretty soon. Small six-wheeled devices drive at four miles an hour. <laughs> that's speedy. Uh, and we'll drop the pizzas off within a mile radius of the store. So what? It's going to take 15 minutes at four miles an hour to go down, go a mile. That's literally the average walking speed. So what you're telling me is I could go walk and pick up my pizza and carry it back. The battery-powered robots, designed to operate autonomously on sidewalks, not the roads, has a maximum speed of that four miles an hour, carrying loads of up to 20 pounds. That's a pretty big pizza. Uh, it's cargo hold with uh, which which customers unlock with a little code that was sent to their their phone. It's insulated. The pizzas are supposed to stay warm. They're supposed to be placed inside a special hot or cold bag, similar to the ones used for those motorcycle deliveries that they uh, that you see out there in the uh, in Asia. Mm. Uh, Starship Technologies is a London-based company, and they're the ones that created these self-driving delivery robots. And Domino's has tested ground-based autonomous vehicles as well for pizza delivery in Australia and New Zealand. And it's also delivered pizza by drone in New Zealand. I don't. I have to stop you here. Can you imagine the first time a homeless man came across one of these pizza delivery drones <laughs> and just grabbed it and started beating it until they got the pizza out? Sure. That is going to happen, Of right? course it's going to happen. <laughs> You're going to have some kind of losses, drone pizza losses with that kind of... And what am I, the customer, supposed to do at that point? I don't know that a homeless man got made off with my pizza. No, you just know that you don't have your delicious hot pizza. Executives say their growth plans over the next five to ten years will leave them without enough delivery drivers if they don't look to add their fleet uh, through initiatives like this and uh, use robots and, and, and autonomous cars. It's part of the robotification of manual jobs. Robotification. Well, wow. it's a big word. I'm surprised I pronounced it correctly. Indeed, uh, almost half of the jobs in America are at risk of being done by robots or computers in the next 20 years. And some of those jobs that robots already do... May surprise you, Joseph. Let me list a few of them. Go on. Actor. The robo-thesbian. The life-size humanoid robot who can sing, tell jokes, and do impressions. Probably better than me. Uh, if they invent a robot, they can do traffic and, po- and a podcast, and I'm in real trouble. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe, I don't know. You, I'm sure you didn't see the movie Passenger. Nope. Uh, but maybe it would be like that one. The one with Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lopez. And Je- Jennifer Lopez. Jennifer uh, Lawrence. Big difference there. Yes. I've seen enough movies to know that. Yes. Uh, no, that was that, that's an interesting robot there. Or, or like in Westworld, 
I only watched like a couple of episodes and then I couldn't watch it anymore. I can't see how a robot would make me laugh. I'm just being honest. Like, I, I don't, I don't see it. There's something about watching a human and being a comedian that. Uh, well, if you, you saw this, if you saw this robot there in uh, in Passenger, then I think you would. It it was, it was an it was a good robot. I'll add it to the list. All right, Jockey, tiny robot only weighing a few pounds sits atop a camel at some races in Abu Dhabi. <laughs> Sounds. Sounds interesting. It sounds dangerous. Very, very, very interesting. I guess it's fine on a camel. You can't really do that on a horse or at the dog races. Well, maybe you could put a tiny one on a dog. Well, there sure. you go. Uh, Bellhop. At the Aloft Hotel in Cupertino, a robot named... Botler. Botler? <laughs> brings your bags up to the room. Do you still have to tip him? Do you, I mean, when he brings the bags, do you have to give him a tip? Again, this seems like a Botler would be a very prime target for an aspiring young criminal to tackle <laughs> and steal your luggage. Yeah, well, Yes, exactly right. And then not tip it. Uh, bartender. A shiny blue one-armed robot serves cocktails on board Royal Caribbean cruise ships. Again, do you have to tip the thing? See, the thing on cruise ships is that when you when you buy something, whether it's like a drink or anything like that, the, the tip is automatically included in the price. So they give you the receipt, and it's already included. You can always add more if you want, but it's basically, do you have to tip the robot? No, I'm sure the money just goes directly into Royal Caribbean's pockets. I, I'm not opposed to a robot bartender. That's probably not a bad idea. Humans are not always the best bartenders. No. Uh, pharmacist. At a pharmacy in San Francisco, a robot brings drugs to the patients, and during the robot's initial test run, it made no errors despite sorting out 350,000 doses. That would be a huge problem if it messed up, though. That's true. Huge <laughs> problem. Journalist. The Associated, Press use, the Associated Press uses robots to write thousands of stories now. Yay! But you know what? I don't think they're good writers. Do you think they're a good... I mean, how do they know what's good writing and what's not? It's hard to say. I mean, they write the game stories for a lot of baseball games in the minor leagues now, and you really can't tell the difference because that stuff's so uh, formulaic anyway. Do they use verbs? <laughs> That's a that's a journalistic joke. <laughs> Any TV producer would enjoy that. Uh, yeah. Would they? Yeah, would they? Just think it. Just just watch your local newscast tonight and see if they use any verbs. Uh, waiter, a restaurant in China uses robots instead of humans to wait on its customers. Again, do you tip? Do you tip a robot waiter? No. And what if you have a question about the menu? That like, what's your recommendation, robot? Well, I don't eat because I'm a robot. I don't know, man. Have you been to Chili's lately? I'm pretty sure the robot knows the menu better than anybody that works there. There's a robot at Chili's? No, but if there was, it would probably know oh, okay. than anybody who gotcha. works there. Uh, soldier. Robot soldiers can dismantle bombs, shoot guns, and more. By one estimate, robots will replace about a quarter of the U.S. combat soldiers by 2030. See, I could see that. Then there, But that's that's going into the whole, actually, Star Wars, because that's what they created was robot Warriors, right? Well, I mean, do, we don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, but that's what drone combat is. That's what self-guided missiles are. So, I mean, we're already there where the majority of the actual bloodshed that's being done is caused by drones. Yeah. What I didn't see on the list was traffic anchor or newscast producer. Two jobs that we do now. I. No comment? Or that we should be safe for the moment. You're safe. What? Me? Yeah, you're safe. Kind Robots of. can't do the traffic. Well, they kind well they kind of already do, but here's the thing. This is this is what I always tell people. Yeah, you can use your navigation apps and that sort of thing to get you around this this and that. But then all you see is the indications of what's going on on your app, but you really don't have the context 
of what's going on, when it might be cleared, how if it's better to stay on or off the high. See, I'm giving context. Yep. You know who's in real trouble? Who? Weather people. Good. Finally, we can get rid of that Lisa Hidalgo dragging down the pro morning program. Goodness gracious. When is she going to be done? Anytime? No? No comment? No comment. All right, then. Well, then, let's take a break. Coming up, when you're running late, there's always that temptation to put your foot down on the gas pedal, right? Just a little bit more to make up some time. But how much time can you really make up in a general commute doing that? That and much, much more as the Driving You Crazy podcast continues. More of the Driving You Crazy podcast coming up. Who is the funnest? Is funnest a word? The more fun, the more funnest uh, person to work with on the morning show. Honestly, it's probably Jason. And I'm looking right at him as I'm telling him this. But it is. We have so much fun together. We have a long history together. I know his wife from back in the day. We have almost a little too much fun. We make each other laugh constantly. But I think that's what brightens up our show and it gives it energy and, and makes it a, a fun thing to watch. Lisa Hidalgo, only on Denver 7. I love the morning team. I love watching you, and I love watching Lisa and and Mitch and Dale and everyone. I think you guys, honestly, and I'm not just saying this standing in front of you here, you guys have a great connection, and you make me laugh. That is the most important thing. Like, I was here a few weeks in, and when you guys did the May the 4th Be With You, I was so proud to be a part of this newsroom because I was like, that is so awesome because I have such a weird sense of humor and just love laughing that that made me laugh. And I was just so proud of that. Connor Wist, only on Denver 7. Welcome back to the Driving You Crazy podcast. Wait, wait, wait. The world famous Driving You Crazy podcast because we are heard all over the world. You have a cell phone. You got us in your pocket. Especially if you're in San Francisco. <laughs> okay. I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. I'm, I'm pedestrian advocate, Joseph Peter. Dateline, Darlington, Pennsylvania. Police say a drunken man had an eight-year-old girl drive him around until someone saw the car moving recklessly and called 911. Someone reported seeing a child driving 24-year-old Kevin Cook and almost wrecking the car twice. Police say the girl stopped the car when another motorist became upset, got out of his car, yelling at her and Cook. That's when the girl told police Cook made her switch seats so she could get behind the wheel before the police arrived. That's a smart drunk right there. Police say Kevin was so drunk, he couldn't finish the field sobriety test. Obviously, he was taken to the crossbar motel. Okay, but if she could have held it together, everybody would have made it out fine. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, eight-year-old. Come on. I'm, that's why I'm teaching my six-year-old right now to drive the car through the neighborhood. There you, there you go. See? Thinking ahead. When you're running late, there's always that temptation to put your foot down on the pedal to make up some time. But how much time can you really make up by speeding during your commute? And how much more will it cost you in gas? Well, the website called driving.ca went on all Mythbusters on us, and they wanted to dispel the myth 
and prove uh, the facts, they say. So they put it to the test. They drove three laps of the same route in the same car with three different driving styles to see how much the speed affects arrival time and fuel economy. Just to know ahead of time that this is coming, I'm sure that their hypothesis, right, they're coming at this thing with an agenda that speeding is bad and wasting gas is bad as well. The vehicle used for this test is the Prius, uh, the Toyota Prius C. Well, there you go. There's one clue right there. (laughs) One of the most fuel-efficient vehicles you can buy, obviously. The Prius has a fairly accurate in-dash fuel economy meter, but for this test, they refueled at the end of each lap to be 100% sure of the results. Lap 1 was done at normal speeds, like most people do, about 5 or 10 kilometers over the speed limit with flow of traffic. Since this happened in Canada, they use the metric system, which I'm still not a fan of. All right, here's a tangent for you, by the way. Uh, The only way to get us, by the way, I think, to use the metric system is to have all the food makers start using the metric system, putting it, and then we'll be forced to learn it or go hungry. That, that's kind of what happened with when you go get a, a, a bottle of Coke at, at, or, or Pepsi or whatever at the grocery store. What do you buy? A two liter. There you go. I don't know what a liter is. And nobody does. But you know what a two liter of Coke is. Now, if you went to the grocery store and you had to buy, instead of getting the uh, one uh, pint of milk, if you had to get the liter of milk or the half liter of milk or whatever, if the milk and the food and everything was in the metric system, we'd be forced to learn it. You know, it's funny. When I went to Canada, they measured their gasoline in liters, not in gallons. And you think you're getting a good deal until you realize that liters are not gallons. And they actually are charging you more per liter than they do per gallon. Yes. Uh, okay, back to the road test. So the driver would accelerate normally and keep ra- rational following distances. This netted a time of 30 minutes and a fuel economy resulting of 3.73 liters per 100 kilometers. Okay, that's way too much metric system measurement for me to handle. Right. right there. All right, so let's convert that to miles a gallon. It comes out to about 63 miles a gallon. See, so much simpler to understand. Right. But so it, it, much. But we're talking time here, Jason. Am I getting there fast? Oh, okay. All right. Gotcha. All right. Lap two was purely for economy, creeping up to the speed limit, coasting down hills, and generally being slow and cautious. This netted a better 64 and a half miles a gallon. The time cost just an extra minute and seven seconds over the base driving lap, and that netted them a 2.1% fuel economy gain at the expense of adding 3.3% of travel time. Lap three was the big one, driving like a total jerk for speed. The driver was flooring the car at every light, driving faster than the flow of traffic and maintaining aggressive short following distances. All that machismo behind the wheel sniped one minute, seven seconds from the base lap for a 3.3% time improvement, but it cost them big on fuel economy. The mileage dropped to 57 and a half miles a gallon, a dramatic eight and a half percent decrease in fuel economy. I think I could have done it better, by the so way. So what you're telling me is if I drive like a normal person, I can get somewhere in 30 minutes. But if I drive like a complete jerk, I can get there in 28 minutes and 53 seconds. Uh, yeah. Totally worth it. Well, exactly. I mean, it, look, it might not seem like a big deal in a car like a Prius, but if you had a V6 or a V8-powered car, you might notice the gas consumption a little bit more uh, than the little Prius. But I, but what they learn, they say, is that no amount of hypermiling or hot rotting seems to affect your arrival time very much, especially in city driving where speeding just gets you to the next red light a little bit faster. But how you drive makes a huge difference in your fuel economy. The difference between hypermiling and aggressive driving was a full 10.5%. Now, this is where it gets into commentary from the writer of this article from driving.ca. Quote, so there you have it. Driving up someone's bumper doesn't make you arrive anywhere sooner. 
It just makes you a jerk, unquote. Actually, it does get you there sooner, and you still are a jerk. Yes. <laughs> Look, It makes you feel better, too, right? Yes. Look, and I have, they, they came at this with a whole bias, and, and if you if you make the next green light, that could save you 30 or 45 seconds. It all depended on how they caught the lights. That's what it is in about a, a downtown in a uh, urban area. It's about catching the traffic lights right. And if you do that, then you're going to save the time. Now, if you have a long distance to go for driving from here to Boston, then you're going to want to get a higher speed because over time, over that distance, then you are going to make up that time over going slower. Well, and you know me, study snob Joseph Peters over here. You can't get any real results if you only did three laps. I know. Like, give me give me 300 laps, and then we'll talk about how much faster you get to point A or point B. A, B, they don't talk about how much faster the guy who drove like a jerk was. Was he just shifting lanes a whole lot? Was he trying to go 20 to 30 kilometers above the speed limit? Or? Would he have gone through a yellow light, and, and uh, or would he have uh, stopped at the yellow light? That's just it. I mean, we don't know enough. <laughs> See? I'm just saying... I think you're right. You could have shaved five minutes off that time, not yes. just one minute, seven skewed. seconds. I was reading that and going, all right, people. Yeah, I could. You, your point is made. Yeah, you drive like a, a, aggressively, and you're going to spend a little bit more in gas. But guess what? Maybe I have the money to spend in gas, and I don't have the time. Well, if I need to get, exactly. If I need to get from point A to point B, if I'm running late for work, I'm not worried about how much the gas is going to cost, especially if it's... 2.1 cents per gallon. But and and seriously, sometimes your time is worth more than what the what the price of let's say the gas in this case is. That's why corporations have their own jets because it costs them less overall to have their own plane, have their executives on those planes, have them spending less time waiting at an airport, going through the show, all that all that stuff that that, that it comes with with business travel. Their time, because they're paid so much, is worth a lot more than what it than what it would be worth uh, if they weren't there on time. You know, at yeah. these other destinations. My mother I mean? used to make fun of my father for using the Gas Buddy app because he would go out of his way to use the gas station that was ten cents cheaper than the other gas station. My mom would be like, "Are you really that concerned about a dollar and twenty cents that you're going right. to go drive five miles to go to a different gas station?" Exactly. It's just ridiculous. All right, we've talked on this program about the Denver boot. That's that huge clamp there, the parking people put over your front wheel so you can't drive your car when you get enough uh, parking tickets. Well, when you uh, get a certain number of parking tickets and you don't pay them, you're going to be uh, you're going to be booted or or now you're going to be barnacled. Oh no. Yes. Uh, we we call those Denver boots, right? And I don't know what we're going to call these barnacle things. Anyway, um, the, it's called the barnacle. It's a device that looks harmless as it sticks to your car's windshield like a barnacle, hence the name, the barnacle. The barnacle attaches to the windshield with this giant suction cups, and then it blocks your view, the driver's view, so you can't really see out of the windshield very well. It looks like a giant, thick, yellow three-ring binder that covers both sides of the windshield. And if you tamper with it, the device sounds an alarm. Even if you break the shell, its twin suction cups keep on holding on for dear life, or at least until you pay it. Now, I'm not a suction cup expert, but can't you just poke a hole in the suction cup and ruin the suction? That's what I was thinking. If okay. you're really wanting to get through that, you could just drill a hole through your windshield and off you go. 
Right? <laughs> I was thinking a hole in the suction cup, but sure. Well, that's a hole what, in the windshield, too. Well, you, you know, you have to go. Sometimes you have to go big or go home. We just did a story last week about a guy who was driving without a back windshield, so whatever. See, there you go. You take the windshield off. Yeah. It, it comes even with a GPS device, though, in some models that'll ha- help the law track you down if you did try to drive with it or, or take it off, and, and then you'd have your windshield or the barnacle sitting there on the side of the road. Now, the company that makes the barnacle is called Ideas That Stick. And they have this sentence on their website to promote their product. Quote, we know that most people resolve their parking violations on their own, but some need more compelling methods of ensuring they pay their debt. Unquote. John Haney, who is a scofflaw supervisor, that's his actual title, by the way, scofflaw supervisor, at the Allentown, Pennsylvania Parking Authority, he spoke glowingly of this thing. He says if you have ever seen a glass company truck driving down the road and seen workers carrying glass panels with those big suction cups they put on them, it's very it's a very similar concept to that. Haney says the device has been hit with a parking inf- with the parking enforcement officers. They just love it. The barnacle is lighter than the solid steel boots, about 15 pounds versus 30 or more pounds for the boot. It can be applied uh, more safely and easily than the boot. Attaching a solid steel boot often means bending down, lying on the street at times uh, to get that thing on, usually on the sidewalk or right there on the traffic side of the the parked car, which is obviously inherently dangerous. The barnacle can be applied from the sidewalk. A coated key lock, uh, keypad locks the suction cups right there in place. He says they did have one person manage to break off the yellow shell, but discovered that those suction cups weren't coming loose until the ticket was paid. Haney says, I like to say that in that instance, the Barnacle lost the battle, but we won the war. Yeah, I guess they did. Uh, He said, so far, no one has been brave enough or foolhardy enough to drive off Ace Ventura style with his head out the window and the Barnacle still on the windshield. (laughs) Of course, people still haven't learned that it doesn't pay to tamper with these sturdier looking boots either. In Allentown, parking offenders risk getting booted by just letting a single ticket go unpaid for 46 days or more. Whether they get the boot or the barnacle, they have to pay the outstanding fine and a $50 booting fee before the device comes off. The Allentown Parking Authority has been using the device as part of their pilot program that began a couple of years ago. They're ending it here. Uh, they ended it here at the end of September. And each device, they cost about $600. And it's about $12 per device per month that the GPS option option is added on. The company is hoping to expand all over the world in the coming years. Even if you could get one off your car, they still know that it came from your car and that you'll probably be charged for wrecking the dang thing. The, the way to disable it, I still think, is to drill a hole through your windshield. because, And that would be under the suction cup because really a suction cup works by... By trapping air, by suction, you know, you, right. by creating a vacuum, basically. So if you get air under there, and I think like your idea, just maybe drill into the suction cup. As long as you can get air into there between the glass and the suction cup, uh, then I think it'll break free. But then again, you still have the, they still know that it's on your car, or maybe now it's in your car because you're driving around with it. But then they have the GPS on there, so maybe they can track you. Uh, I don't know, or maybe you feed it to pig. Isn't that what you do to? Yes, feed I would it to just the pigs? get as far away from Allentown, Pennsylvania, as possible, because <laughs> clearly they are going to do whatever it takes to get their money if you don't if you park in the wrong place there. I still think that would be a good he- superhero name, though. Too instead bar- of the Crackler, we could be the Barnacle. Wasn't that a uh, SpongeBob SquarePants had a Barnacle? Now we now we're getting to TV that I've watched. Really? Bar- yeah, Barnacle Boy, right? Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy. Uh, that's something I have not watched. It, it took me the entire podcast to remember the name of those. The Barnacle too. Boy. Yeah. 
protecting the shallow coastal waters by attaching himself to the bad guy. There you go. <laughs> and just staying there and never coming off until he's scraped off. The barnacle. The barnacle. We should get Marvel on the line right now. I agree, man. Bar- I- the barnacle would be a great sidekick for uh, whatever other superheroes Marvel has. You have I- a boat that needs to be stopped? Call the barnacle. <laughs> You have a parking fine <laughs> that must be paid. You have a scofflaw driving around crazily, not paying his parking ticket. Is that what a scofflaw is? The guy who doesn't pay his parking ticket? I guess, because that's what that guy, his his official title is, the scofflaw guy, the, the scofflaw, what is it, scofflaw supervisor. Okay. So yeah, so that's the official name. Uh, once upon a time, I too was a scofflaw until I got a nasty call from my father who said, why aren't you paying your parking ticket? I had racked up nine of them parking at classes at the Savannah College of Art and Design in Georgia. And then Georgia called my dad and said, what are you doing? Don't be a jerk. Pay your parking tickets. There you go. There you go. There you have it. I could have been barnacled. You could have. You were never booted or barnacled? Never. I'm shocked that I wasn't booted in retrospect. (laughs) But, you know. Well, that's that's all we have for another edition of the podcast. We're going to take a week off as I'll be on assignment um, out of the state. Out of the state. On assignment. On assignment. I don't know what that means, but it sounds better than just being off. I was going to ask you what the assignment was. Are you finally going to the Hyperloop test track like we've been talking about? (laughs) Maybe. That might be one of the ideas. That is up for uh, discussion within all the podcast uh, listeners. They can send guesses to us of where I'm going to be. They can watch my Instagram to see where I'm going to be. Yeah, I'm on assignment, too. I'm testing out Elon Musk's new rocket that will take me to London in 15 minutes. See, there you go. You also are on assignment. Good for me. Perfect. (laughs) Perfect. Well, until uh, we see you again, thanks again for watching. Thanks again for watching. Thanks again. I'm watching too much TV or being on too much TV. Thanks again for listening, and thanks again for being here on the podcast. I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. I'm pedestrian advocate Joseph Peters. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.